0: Welcome into the Diamond Vols podcast. I am Ben McKee, joined as always by the one and only Eric Kane. And Eric Kane, we've got another big time matchup to talk about. I- I'm still trying to get my my feet underneath me from last weekend's trip to Oxford, but here we are Thursday afternoon, and it- it's time to head west to-, to West End for number one Tennessee versus number nine Vanderbilt at Hawkins Field. It's going to be quite the the weekend. Ticket prices are through the roof. Good luck if, if you're trying to find tickets to this game, because it is going to be hard to find. And unless you've got Eric Kane type of money, you ain't getting in. So, Eric Kane, how are you, my friend? Well, not many people
1: have that type of money. Let's just go ahead and put that out there first. But now I'm uh, doing really well, man. It uh, doesn't get any easier, right? I mean, you did a lot of good things last weekend at Ole Miss. Doesn't have to. You're not going to be traveling as far this weekend, Benjamin, but uh, getting over there in Nashville, going up against Vanderbilt, it's going to be a clash of two top 10 teams once again, and uh, it should be a good one. National uh, televised games, ESPN2 Friday night, SEC Network Saturday
0: night. So we're really looking forward to that. should be a fun one. Oh, it's going to be a fun one. And I don't know about you, Eric, but I'm I'm trying to wrap my head around the fact that not only is Tennessee ranked higher, playing against Vanderbilt, but they're the number one team in the country. Never yeah. in my life did I think a, that Tennessee would be number one in the country, but with Tim Corbin at the helm at Vanderbilt, would Tennessee be the top team in the matchup? I'd I never thought I would see it. I never did. Yeah.
1: It's kind of hard to believe. Right. But uh, again, credit just goes to what Tony Votelo has built, man, just continues to build and build and build. And you're finally here. And, um, there's not been too many series ever for Corbin going into it as essentially the um, the lower seed or the underdog, if you will. I don't. I've been looking for odds today. I haven't seen any odds out there, but I would expect them to be in Tennessee's favor for you know uh, probably the probably the entire series, even though it's on the road. I'm interested to see about Friday night, but um, it is. Kind of mind-boggling, but here we are, and this is just another testament that Tennessee baseball is here, and uh, gosh, really a chance to put an exclamation point on a really nice two-week swing here this weekend if you go down there and win that series.
0: At some point, assuming Tony Vitello continues on this path and turns out to, to stick around at Tennessee as long as Tim Corbin has at Vanderbilt Mike Bianco at Ole Miss, Dave Van Horn at Arkansas. Those programs, when those coaches took over, was where Tennessee was when Tony Vitello took over. And they have completely altered the 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 history and the future of those individual programs. And that is something that Tony has a chance to do. And, and I can assure you that Tony takes pride in that opportunity. Like, he can stick here and truly build a legacy. I mean, that was one of the reasons why he did not pursue the LSU job harder or the AM job, the TCU job. He wanted to kind of stay here and, and build his legacy because I truly do believe that with the resources, with the recruiting base, Tennessee baseball is a, a sleeping giant. It, it may sound crazy right now, but I truly believe that, again, at, at a place like Tennessee, you have the resources – to be a perennial power you have the recruiting base to perennial perennially bring in top talent across the country and and you've seen Tony do that and and he kind of had some of those comments if you if you really read into them following Tuesday's midweek game he was asked about his relationship with Tim Corbin and he said kind of the same as coach Bianco at Ole Miss you want to go to a place where you leave a little bit of a legacy uh, he he joked that he was just worried about getting up tomorrow on time and taking care of himself and then taking care of his players. Uh, but, he, but he did say that uh, although he has his hands full, he does admire the coaches like Tim Corbin, like Bianco, that have been around for so long. He referenced Gene Stevenson at Wichita State, who in the 80s and 90s put together some of the greatest college baseball seasons of all time. Uh, and he said the, the stadium now at Ole Miss – is uh, absolutely absurd compared to what it was. They they don't do that unless they believe in the way the program is being run and the amount of games that are being won too. I'd like to think I get along with everybody in the league equally. I know a couple of the other guys better than I know Coach Corbin, but anytime we've interacted, he's been nothing but kind to me, and I'd be crazy to not have respect for him. So at some point, this this will not be a shock anymore that Tennessee's the the better team. But Eric, I was writing a story for Fall Quest that will. Be turned loose at at some point Thursday evening or first thing Friday, uh, because this is the first time Tennessee has come into to to Tennessee Vanderbilt series as the top team, as the better team, and it's astounding when you look at the numbers. This is Tim Corbin's 19th season at Vanderbilt. He's only seen three Tennessee teams, three Tennessee teams in 19 season finish better than fourth in the SEC East. Only three out of 19 years, and Tony Vitello is responsible for two of them in 2019 when Tennessee finished third, and then last year when Tennessee finished first and won the division, Uh, Tim Corbin is 36-20 and against Tennessee, and he's won 12 of 17 series between the in-state rivals, and I think this is something else that they can prove, another statement that can be made this weekend they, they've announced themselves to college baseball as a whole but I I think they they can really take ownership of the state and, and kind of s- steal some stuff from Vandy this weekend I still feel like from a national
1: perspective everybody views Tennessee as not a fluke that you got to Omaha last year because I mean it's been I mean you you've seen Tony Votelo build and build and build but I kind of just feel like everybody forgets that this team was a College World Series team last year. It did go to Omaha. It did win the SEC East for the first time in quite some time. Um, I mean, hey, correct, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, it was voted fourth in the preseason polls for the SEC East this year. Um, and you're right. Sooner or later, it's not going to be a surprise any longer. And if Tennessee is able to handle business against a caliber coach like Tim Corbin and, and gets a quality team like Vanderbilt taken two or three, sweeping, winning this series, however you do it, um, then I truly feel like as the season goes on from here on out, it's it's not going to be a surprise anymore. And maybe it shouldn't already because of what you did against, uh, you know, how you handled your business in, in Houston. I know you lost to Texas, um, but how you handled your business in Oxford, the way you went about it and winning and blowout games. And then, you know, changing gears and winning in a close one on Sunday, right, to finish off the weekend. So, you know, we'll have to see. But, t- I mean, t- Tennessee's here and um, a-, a chance to, continue to solidify its resume continue to to move on it's got a program long win streak right now at 16 games and that's kind of neat to think about I, I keep thinking that it, it, it's wild I keep Tennessee's lost one game this year <laughs> you know it's Tennessee's lost to Texas I keep forgetting it's only lost one game this year and um it's wild man it's been a fun team to watch fun team to cover and I'm really really excited to see how it goes about this Vanderbilt club that's is a typical Vanderbilt club, really, really good lineup and some, uh, some pretty decent arms there at the, at the one-two spots on the weekend.
0: Me and Sean Barrows, Tennessee's SID, the only two people to witness Tennessee's only loss of the season in person this year, <laughs> there in Houston to, to Texas. That, that's what we continue to mention to, to one another. Uh, but I like I said I, I think well, good Tennessee for you has, guys
1: it was lost so <laughs> I I guess you could say that you've seen what uh what twenty third what's the record you you, you saw the other twenty two wins though on the season so that that's okay <laughs> I think they're twenty four and one yeah so yeah
0: there you yeah, go just stupid stats and numbers that Tennessee continues to put up but a, a great great chance to to make a statement uh, against Tennessee's rival this weekend Tony Vitello tried to downplay. Uh, the, the rivalry uh, last week saying that Tennessee doesn't have just one rival and each series has its individual characteristics to it and, and storylines. But uh, this is the rivalry for Tennessee baseball because of what Vanderbilt has been over the last several years and uh, a, a chance for Tennessee to, to claim the throne uh, momentarily here and uh, the baseball ranks in the SEC, it would be huge for Tennessee. Uh, looking at the midweek, I uh, do want to mention that Jared Dickey, Tennessee received good news on Jared Dickey. Uh, Sunday after the game, Tennessee was very concerned about uh, his, his long-term health for the remainder of the season. Uh, early in that weekend at Ole Miss, he, he jumped up at the wall and, and tried to catch a ball, and uh, his foot kind of got stuck on the padding out in the outfield, and that uh, caused a shin injury that that didn't cost him any playing time but on sunday when he got hurt they thought that that was kind of what was bothering him but uh they they thought it had crept up into the knee and turns out that it was not it's just a deep deep bone bruise on his foot uh from rounding the bases And i know the gq got a kick out of the way i described the the bases uh the the other day uh but the the bases Eric were thicker than than your average base and, and harder than than your average base. Uh, so uh, there's a belief there that that the bags at Ole Miss uh, contributed to uh, Jared Dickey getting hurt there. And and just thankfully for Tennessee, uh, he's not going to miss a ton of time. Uh, he, he's kind of available this weekend. It, it it comes down to a pain tolerance for for Mister Richard Dickey and. His first name's not Richard. I just threw that in there because his last name's Dickey. But uh, it's a pain tolerance for for Jared, and he's available to pinch hit, maybe DH, but I I just don't see when when you have an option like Seth Stevenson uh, or even Christian Moore. Uh, Tony mentioned Tuesday after the game that they've thrown Christian Moore out in left field. When you have other options like that, why force it with, with Jared Dickey? I know they would love to have his bat in the lineup. He's been terrific. Thank goodness for them that he won't miss the, the rest of the season, but just there's no need to really push it. And the way you handled uh, Drew Gilbert, uh, Drew
1: Gilbert here the last couple weeks, I don't know if he'll be that cautious with him. Um, but going to be cautious no matter what. So why rushing back? Can you have all these options? Again, we talk about it every single show, you know, we talk about it every week, Tennessee is set up and in position that's got quality of depth and you can put a different, a number of different guys out there, move some things around Christian Moore. You mentioned him. He, Uh, He took over the leadoff spot in that midweek game. We'll see if that's going to stick this weekend, but um, you have options and all that. Uh, So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see exactly what happens there. Um, The I was going to say something, but, uh, but I forgot, but um, the, you know, Cal Booker too, he made a pinch hit. He made a return with a pinch hit opportunity there in the midweek. And, you know, potentially you might know more than me on his status about being able to play the field, uh, but he was, it was good to see him back in that lineup and, and see him in there. So that's another option as well. So that's um, good for Tennessee. Jared Dickey's a really good player, already two time SEC freshman of the week. Um, Tennessee's better with Jared Dickey, but when you have the options and, and everything you can throw out there, you know, why rush him back? So I for me, I feel like you're not going to see him this weekend. That's just me. Bone bruises suck. I mean, they, they do, they, they hurt, they sting. <laughs> um, and like it, it, it really is a pain tolerance thing, man. And, and again, if you're if you don't see him, it's not because he's not a tough guy. It just, I mean, it, it truly, truly stings. And so, I just, you know, resting it will only make it better.
0: Especially when you have the other options. And I think your point about Kyle Booker is a great one. Tony Vitello said recently that if if Tennessee is going to be or going to reach its full potential this season, it's going to be because kyle booker is a factor in some form or fashion whether that's a starting outfielder the fourth outfielder uh, a a late game substitution Uh, last year he kind of carved out a nice role for him as a pinch hitter came in as a pinch hitter and got some big hits Uh, so kyle booker has to find some type of role and uh, maybe he's able to find some at bats this weekend i would obviously expect christian or uh, seth stevenson Uh, to be in left to to start the weekend and throughout the weekend. And Seth's been swinging the bat well. He obviously is as fast as anybody in the SEC. Uh, The only person faster is the guy he'll be going up against this weekend, and that's Vandy center fielder Enrique Bradfield Jr. Uh, So since he's set at left field, just just great that Dickey's not out for the season because he had been playing well. And both are equally talented, Dickey and Stevenson. They just bring – different things to the table and the last couple of weeks you, you've seen Tony Tony V against South Carolina not be afraid when Dickey was slumping to go to Stevenson in the fourth or fifth inning against Carolina and that ended up paying off for Tennessee twice that weekend so great news on Jared Dickey Tennessee did win the midweek game pretty handedly <laughs> 11-1 but that was not the topic of conversation Blake Tidwell's return is, and I'm going to ask you about that and and your thought on Titty getting back out there on the mound, Eric. But first, I want to ask you about what you thought uh, about Tennessee's lineup, Uh, a a new-looking lineup, and I wouldn't read too much into it because it was a midweek game, but I do think it's worth asking just your thoughts on it. Christian Moore in the field at second, just not a designated hitter. Uh, He was leading off uh, and playing second, as I mentioned. Seth Stevenson was out and left uh, because of – the injury to Jared Dickey, uh, but also Mm -hmm. you had Blake Burke start at DH, and I thought it was great. This is really the one that doesn't need to be read into too much is Charlie Taylor starting at catcher. Evans banged up. They need to get him some rest. We've talked about that recently uh, on the GQ, and I believe we mentioned it on the pod uh, that, that we recorded earlier this week they've, they've got to get Charlie Taylor some reps in these midweek games and maybe not this weekend against Vanderbilt, but against Alabama, against Missouri coming up, they, they've got to get Charlie in there for one of those sec games. So uh, your thoughts on, on a newish looking lineup uh, for the midweek game.
1: Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, I, I'm with you. I wouldn't, I wouldn't look into it too much um, as far as Evan Russell. Yeah, exactly. Right. you, you got to create depth of that catcher position. You're already thin there. There's a reason he's even he's even catching this year, right? It's, um, you don't need to be running him out there, <clears throat> excuse me, against all these lesser opponents of the midweek and some of these lower tier SEC squads when you know when the series is at hand, maybe maybe spell him in the sixth inning, the seventh inning of some game, stuff like that. So, um, I, I get that. Christian Moore leading off, that was interesting, right? I, I don't, you know, I don't hate it. Um, certainly don't think that he. Um, we'll stick up there. Don't think that that's really kind of the, the best spot for him in the lineup, but it's an option again. I mean, I think while Dickey's out, Seth Stevenson is your obvious leadoff guy, and that's who I expect to be up there leading off these games. But uh, that's what midweek's all about, right? I mean, you, you kind of play some games. You experiment a little bit. Way earlier in the season, we saw Trey Lipscomb play a little short, um, You know, we, and we made a point about that on the podcast, and you know, that, that's some things you do in the midweek. Ortega got an inning or two at, uh, at first base. Last night or two nights ago, so, um, you know that's interesting. But I would expect Stevenson to be back up there in the leadoff spot. But it's good to see some more options up there for Tony Batello. Uh Christian Moore, guy that's going to be in the lineup. Just
0: depends on where he's going to play. Yeah, and Jarrell Ortega might want to turn it up a notch. Uh, if, yeah, if, if I don't have the exact stats in front of me, but if you go look at his his stats uh, against Power Five teams hitting. It's not great. Uh, I want to say it was 220 or or so is what somebody told me. Maybe I should be better at my job and confirm that before. Uh, I mentioned it on air, uh, but I'm taking uh, somebody's word for it that that Jarrell is really struggling at the plate uh, against Power 5 pitching this year. And then the defense hasn't been great either. I I believe he leads the team in errors. So uh, Christian Moore, he's a better hitter. Uh, that that's plain and simple. We've known that all along. Not that Jarrell's a bad hitter, uh, but Christian Moore is just a freak of a talent. And if if the defense isn't going to be rock solid, then is, is the coaching staff going to continue to be willing to put Jarrell at second? I don't think so, especially with the way Christian's been coming on of late. And I think the fact that Christian was put into the field last night, Wednesday night, against Western Carolina, I I think that's a a sign uh, of maybe things to come. Yeah,
1: I mean, we've been talking about it all year long. It's just only going to be a matter of time, right? And, you know, uh, to uh, Ortega's credit, uh, I mean, he didn't give anybody a reason to bench him, you know, for At, at the Keystone Spot, we'll have to see. But again, um, if it doesn't work out with Moore you you like Ortega there because that that that's what's got you to this point essentially, and he's he's certainly played a big contribution on this team. So uh, depth, depth, depth that that's a great thing for Tony Vitello.
0: Other news and notes before we dive into Blake Tidwell. Uh, just mentioning the the midweek win and passing uh, Christian Moore continues to to swing a, a hot stick uh, hit a. A home run on the first pitch of the game—that was an absolute bomb, a bomb of of all bombs. I believe it carried 434 feet, and he and Blake Burke was just—I mean—they carried the offense. Yeah, I know it's Western Carolina, but the the two freshmen combined uh, to go four for eight, had six RBIs, had a homer, a double, and a run scored. Uh, so they they led the way. Uh, freshman White Evans even got in. Uh, Tennessee used seven different pitchers uh, on the mound. Xander Seacrest, he, he got the start uh, and, and wasn't as crisp yet again for a second straight week, but uh, did not allow a, a run, uh, though he did allow four hits through 42 pitches over 2.2 innings of work. And, and Kane, I want to mention this. The crowd was unbelievable. 4,607 were in attendance Uh, That was the highest ever attended midweek game in the program's history and the fourth highest attendance for any game ever. Now, I don't know that I would mention that it was the the fourth highest attendance for any game ever because, as I've mentioned before on the show, uh, when when we've had this, I think it speaks more to uh, where Tennessee baseball has been over the years and the fact that nobody cared about baseball for a very, very long time, including the administration neglecting it. Uh, But still a a cool note. Uh, It's just to me, it's sad that a midweek game over Western Carolina is the fourth highest attendant game ever. I don't care if Tennessee is the number one team in the country or not. A midweek game should not should not be in fourth place (laughs) of of all time attendance. And it broke the previous record set last Tuesday against Butler. I, I know people have Tennessee baseball fever right now, but. Still, I, I think it's an unfortunate reminder of how baseball was neglected for just so long. But look, man, it took me 50 minutes to park, and I am not exaggerating. I, I got there at, at 5, 510 for 530, first pitch. And in hindsight, okay, yeah, I should have gotten there earlier. But that's what time I get there every year, have been for the last five years. Uh, that's what time I always get there for a midweek game, and I never have the issues that I had yesterday. I mean, it was like an inning and a half had already been played when I sat down in my seat. It was 555 by the time I got to my seat. I had to park all the way over in front of Thompson Bowling Arena that the parking was so uh, uh, atrocious. So uh, the the crowd last night was terrific. I mean, like on Saturdays, whenever there's home
1: baseball and like lady ball basketball or obviously men's basketball, it is hell trying to find a parking spot. So I hear you there. Um, that is that that's awesome for a midweek game. And I'm glad you brought up the, the note about Butler from last week. I mean, that just that broke a midweek attendance record from last week. I would expect it to be broken again at some point this season. Um, that's awesome. You're right. Tennessee, everybody's got Tennessee baseball fever right now, but it's a fun environment. And I mean, if the wind would stop freaking blowing, it's insane right now. Um, you know, it's it, it's a great atmosphere over over at uh Lindsay Nelson Stadium for a midweek, so why not go out there? Um, and plus you know, Tennessee's going to play a bunch of, uh, as my voice cracks, Tennessee's going to play to win every single game. Yeah, sure, you'll experiment a little bit in the midweek, but, you know, outside of pitching, it's it's not like you're just throwing in the towel whatsoever. You're going out there and you're still putting up 10-plus runs and and trying to get the best out of it. So um, I love the fact that you missed the first inning and a half. I did not know that until just now. So that, uh, that, that made me laugh uh, for sure because I've been there, except I get there early and I try to do my job better than you. Uh,
0: except where were you last night?
1: Last night, I was watching the game from the crib. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, what you and think also, of uh, also doing my other four
0: jobs that I have throughout the night? But, uh, yeah. Uh, you should have come over to Lindsey Nelson and, and, and done it from a, a windy uh, Lindsey Nelson. From your crib, what would you think of Blade Tidwell's return? He pitched an inning, pitched the sixth inning, greeted by a triple, then a double, did allow one run, and then after an error uh, by Trey Lipscomb, he came back with back-to-back strikeouts to get two outs with runners on the corners and then got a pop up to center to end the inning 20 pitches 13 were strikes what'd you think of his outing i mean this might sound crazy but i i
1: love the outing um, sure you want him to go out there and strike out the side and you know hit, hit mid- 90s and all that you're, you're yeah that's what you want right but i mean let's be real He's, he hasn't pitched this year right and i don't care how good you are i don't care how good your stuff is you know it's it, it's it's a daunting task getting back out there after missing all this time, especially with how the team's playing right now and how the team's pitching. So, I mean, I didn't, it didn't please me to see him get rocked there initially, but he did. What did please me was how he responded. I know Tony Votello was really excited about that um, post game. Whenever he, uh, when whenever he talked to you guys and I mean, give blade a lot of credits, a triple, a double, an error. Um, you give up a run, come back and, you know, get two strikeouts and do some pop outs and exit one inning after only 20 pitches. So great recovery. It's a start. And, um, you know, that, that initial shock factor, maybe, maybe it's over with now, because again, it's, it's kind of hard. to. I mean, you could have gave up back to back home runs. I get that, but I mean, he got hit hard there uh, as soon as he got in there, but he settled down and that was, that was really great to see. So a uh, good first outing for him, good recovery. And, uh, the inning didn't get away from him. It certainly could have, and uh, excited to see what he does the next time he takes them out.
0: I liked what I saw given the circumstances. I, it was it was basically a spring training outing. The, the results did not matter. What you wanted to see was the velo, and you wanted his shoulder to feel fine afterwards. And all indications are that his shoulder felt fine afterwards. He was touching 96, 97. Now, he was sitting more 94, 95 consistently, but... He, he was up to 96, 97, and, and that will continue to improve uh, as he progresses and, and, and gets back. So uh, I thought it was terrific. And, I mean, the, the triple that he gave up, it's, it's because he left the fastball <laughs> uh, right over the middle of the plate and credit to uh, the Western Carolina hitter that, that smoked it. And, and then Tony Vitello really talked highly of the, the kid after him that, that hit the double. Uh, said that he's one of the best hitters in the country, regardless of what team he plays for. Blade made a nice 0-2 pitch on, on a slider, and the kid just was a better hitter than than Blade's 0-2 slider was. Now, uh, Blade said he missed with the slider, but Tony V kind of took up for him on the slider. I did think it was funny that <laughs> uh, Tony said his first two pitches sucked. <laughs> worth that word word that was hilarious. <laughs> uh, but but after that, he got rolling. So, I mean, Blade pretty much said the same thing. Uh, so, I, I thought it was really good to see Blade back on the mound. And uh, he, he's going to be out of the bullpen for the foreseeable future. They're going to work him back up to eventually be a starter. Uh, and those decisions that will need to be made will be made when that time comes. And, Eric, I think that's the, the way uh, to go about doing it.
1: Yep, I would agree. I mean, why th- th- there's so much can happen uh, between now and then, right? Uh, maybe one of the starters starts uh, to struggle a little bit. Um, gosh, God forbid somebody maybe get hurt or something. So, no sense of making any time of decisions right now. I mean, you can you can forecast a little bit. I mean, coaches have to do that, but uh, just see how it plays out, right? Uh, sports has a funny way of uh, playing out the way it needs to, or playing out, uh, you know, in some you know way, shape, or fashion. So, Tidwell will be back, and he will be starting. Uh, At some point, but we'll just have to see exactly what that looks like when the time comes. But as you pointed out earlier this week, I mean, it's just going to be such a luxury to have four guys you can count on to go and postseason play SEC tournaments, uh, you know, regional stuff like that. When you have to go out there and play and rely on some big time guys to go and win some games to advance on, um, it's going to it's going to be great to have four guys that can eat innings and can do it in an effective manner uh, like the three starting right now.
0: And of course, Blade Sidwell. Looking ahead to this weekend, Eric and I won't break down the weekend as, as much as we have the past two weeks for, for South Carolina and Ole Miss because we were joined by Max Hers of 1 2 5 the game in Nashville. Uh, he calls games there on SEC Network Plus, uh, calling call the Vanderbilt games. And uh, for anybody who's listened to the Dive Involves podcast since I, I started it a couple of years back, uh, you'll remember Max from, from last year. Very insightful. Uh, does a great job of of covering uh, Vanderbilt uh, as a broadcaster, and and he he provided us some great insight uh, on Vandy, giving us a, a scout of Vandy. So uh, we won't break down Vandy as in depth as we did Carolina and Ole Miss. We'll we'll leave it up to the expert. But Eric, when you look at this weekend, what are some key matchups that you're circling or or paying attention to that Tennessee needs to win? In order to win the series, yeah, containing uh,
1: first and foremost that lineup is really really good. No surprise there. Uh, Dominic Keegan, so leading the the team in an average hitting uh, about four twenty, I think. The, I think is uh yeah, it's right here four nineteen. So uh, swinging a hot bat, of course, leading the team in hits, leading the team in um a lot of different areas offensively. Second on the team in home runs, he's got five, only to Tate uh, Colwick six. On the season so far. So, um, Dominic Keegan's a really, really good player. So, I would start there. But of course, the most intriguing guy in this lineup is always going to be Enrique Bradfield Jr., a perfect 16 of 16 on the season and still bases. I know that Evan Russell has been a point of conversation so far this season in terms of base runners against him. You and I have talked about it's not just Russell, it's the whole staff and how the battery is working together. Um, Regardless of who you know, you know who who you point the finger at. Hey, be ready this weekend because you will be tested. You will. Whenever we're talking about the standard, of the struggles of the uh, managing the runners on base, the the run game, it's always uh, you know Bradfield Junior is going to run every single time he gets on base. Well, here you are. <laughs> he is here, and that is going to be a challenge. So without a doubt, it's it, it starts with him, and then it, you know how are you going to deal with some of these other guys in the lineup like Keegan and and uh, you know Colwick and and some of these other guys that are, are doing really really well for. Um, uh, for Vanderbilt. So that's that's a couple of things I'm looking for. And then, of course, my number three, we can get to this here in a moment. Who's going to start game three for Vanderbilt? Uh, very, very intriguing. They uh kind of had a I'm not even gonna call him an opener because it wasn't really an opening start whatsoever. It was uh Cunningham who started last Sunday's game. Um, his first start of the season, and I believe he went over, I think he went three innings and a third. Yeah, three innings and a third, gave up two runs, four hits. So who's going to be the game three starter right now on the game notes? It says TBD, uh, but it might be Bryce Cunningham for Vanderbilt. So maybe an opportunity there for uh, for Tennessee on Sunday to um, hit the road with a win uh,
0: for sure. Yeah, Max said uh, in, in his interview with us that they've used four different starters the last Sunday. So uh, to, to me, that could be the difference in the weekend, uh, especially yeah. if Burns, Dolander, Beam... Pitch the way that they have, then then that will most likely be the difference. Is that Tennessee starting pitching is is better than Vanderbilt's right now? Uh, Burns on, on Friday night is going to be a, a lot of fun uh, in in his matchup, and, and same with Dollinger on Saturday and and Beam on Sunday. That that's kind of what I'm circling. I, I'm I'm circling the running game as well as you discussed, but just for the sake of not repeating what you said. Um, Tennessee's starting pitching has to do what it has done to this point. And also, like, Tennessee's lineup has to take advantage of some inexperience on the mound. I'm real curious to see how Saturday goes. Uh, Carter Holton is going to be on the mound for Vandy. He's a freshman, and the inexperience of Holton is what bit him in the butt last week against South Carolina. But he's a lefty. And we've seen Tennessee struggle against lefties. So does the inexperience play a factor yet again in, in Tennessee's favor? Or does does him being a lefty get to Tennessee? That, that's something I'm keeping an eye on. But Chase Burns versus Chris McIlvain on, on Friday, the, the numbers for both guys are gaudy, and, and that's going to be a low-scoring game. I would be surprised. If it isn't, and and then like you said, who 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 pitches on Sunday? That that is a huge question yep. mark for Vandy, and since he has the advantage because you know you're going to roll with Drew Beam out there, uh, so I have confidence in Tennessee starting pitchers, but the bullpen needs to to, to tighten up just a little bit. Uh, I'll be curious to see if Camden Sewell continues to be the top guy out of the pen. I I think he will be, and and I've maintained that I think Camden is going to be all right, and, and weekends like this. Camden Sewells of the world have to pitch well. I mean, your, your top guys that you trust out of the bullpen, they have to pitch well. It's, it's got to be good performances from Kirby Connell, uh, Camden Sewell. Uh, I'm interested to see if Ben Joyce's role expands any, if he pitches more than he has been. I think Blade will pitch an inning this weekend at some point, maybe a little bit more. Where does that come into play? How effective is he if, if it's in a close game? against more legitimate competition in Vanderbilt than Western Carolina. Uh, so I, I'm really keeping an eye on the bullpen. Uh, as far as Tennessee's lineup, I mean, I, I just kind of expect them to mash at this point. I mean, they'll have off games. They haven't yet, but they <laughs> they will at some point. Uh, so I, I just kind of expect them to to do their thing this weekend, just with how much talent, how much depth they have, and uh, a lack of experience on the mound for for Vanderbilt or – uh, lack of solidified roles within that Vanderbilt pitching staff. I expect Tennessee to, ha- to have the advantage with the bats. And, and if the pitching does what, what it has been or did against Ole Miss, then Tennessee should win this series. Yep, I would agree. And, again, you may know more than
1: I do on this in this regard, but having pitched an inning on a Wednesday – would Titty even be available to go and throw an inning on Friday? Normally wouldn't be a big issue at all. But right now when you're coming back from shoulder soreness and the injury that he suffered, maybe Friday he's out. Maybe it's just a Saturday or Sunday type thing uh, potentially. But uh, you're right. The, the Sunday advantage, you just you just can't help but think it's in favor of Tennessee because not only do you have a guy that you can count on on a Sunday, I mean, you got a guy that's contending for SEC freshman of the year pitching on Sundays, just like last year uh, in Drew Bream. So taking advantage of that with the inconsistencies there uh, for his counterpart on the mound for Vanderbilt on Sunday, that will be big. Just looking at this Vanderbilt lineup again, very much like Ole Miss. I mean, hitters, uh, you've got seven of the nine guys, in, or excuse me, six of the nine guys in this lineup hitting 290 or better. Um, 307, 337, 348, 375, 419. um just a really, really good hitting lineup. But again, um, Tennessee can hit with the best of them. We've seen that. We've seen the power travel. We spoke on that earlier this week as well. So, uh, just another really good opportunity. I think Tennessee's battle will be just fine. Um, I, I, I like you, I would give the advantage to Tennessee's bats considering what they've done, um, so far this season and just another good opportunity to, uh, to, to see what they've got. And I also echo your thoughts on Camden Sewell. He would still be my first option, because you know what he can do for you and you know what he has done for you. But sooner or later, there's going to be more defined roles uh, in that bullpen more than there already are right now. And maybe this weekend you'll start to see a little bit of that as well. So we're really, really looking forward to it.
0: Let me ask you this on our way out the door. How convicted are you about Tennessee winning the series or Ole Miss winning or uh, Vanderbilt winning the series? Because with Ole Miss last week, you and I were, were pretty confident in in Tennessee winning that series because of what we did not see in Ole Miss's pitching staff. We were not very high on Ole Miss's pitching staff, so we felt really good, really confident that Tennessee was going to take two of three in Oxford. I I don't have a strong conviction either way this weekend. I would pick Tennessee to win because Tennessee is the best team in the country, and I'm not going to pick against the best team in the country uh, because they are the best team in the country. Nobody's better than them. So uh, I'm rolling with Tennessee – uh, for that reason, and then legitimate reasoning, I, I again, I think Tennessee has more pitching. I, I think that will be the difference, but I don't feel as strongly about Tennessee winning this series as I did last weekend. I, I think this is by far a more evenly matched up two teams going up against one another. I, I think Vanderbilt is kind of laying in the weeds, and that feels weird because you don't hear that from Vanderbilt baseball all that often, I, I don't remember the last time Vanderbilt was ever laying in the weeds. They lack that one like star on their team. Everybody knows who Enrique Bradfield Jr. is, but I, I don't know that he's a bona fide star. He's one of the best players in the league, but not a whole lot of people talk about him maybe as much as they should. I don't know. Maybe that's a, a me thing. But uh, for me, Eric, I don't feel as strongly about Tennessee winning this weekend as, as I did last weekend.
1: Well, We, we, um, I, I feel like almost you got to stay consistent, right? Because we're like, uh, you know, we'll see, like Tennessee's chances maybe two, you know, maybe, uh, maybe two games to one in the series against Old Miss. We're, I mean, I was the entire time heading into Old Miss saying, if you, you know, you go four and two, that's awesome, you go three and three, you know, that that, that's good, right? So maybe I should say Tennessee's just going to drill them so that I can, uh, you know, kind of flip the, a little the reverse psychology there. I don't know, but. I'm with you. I I think this is going to be a really, really good series. And to your point, too, about Vanity just kind of sitting in the weed, you're right. D1 Baseball has got them at number nine in the country. They were fourth last week. They dropped two of three after winning 10-1, to one, 10 to nothing, something like that, on Friday of last week to South Carolina. You know Vanderbilt is just waiting just to get back out there, right? Um, and they probably like it this way, right? I mean, all the talk is on Tennessee, a team that Vanderbilt's not taken seriously in the grand scheme of things in quite some time. So... I think this is going to be a very, very good series with two uh, good baseball teams. But I'm with you, man. There's no reason. I said this after after the Ole Miss series. I know, uh, um, you know, big-time big proclamation, right, after that sweep at number one Ole Miss. There's no reason to pick against Tennessee right now, right? I mean, unless injury or some, some major trend. Tennessee's giving you no reason to pick against them in any series right now. Until they do, uh, continue to roll with Tennessee because the way it's hitting, the way it's pitching – Uh, especially the way it's getting – what it's getting from the starting pitching. Um, I just – I feel too good about it right now. So, I'll pick Tennessee to win this series, but I'm with you. I think this will be – I'm not expecting blowouts, 12-1s, to 9-3s, to anything like that. I'm expecting some good baseball uh, with Tennessee 1 and 2 of the 3.
0: And it would not surprise me one bit if Tennessee lost the series. Vanderbilt has the talent to do so. Tim Corbin recruits nationally, recruits the best prospects throughout the country. And that's both on the mound and in the field. So they they certainly have the talent to beat Tennessee. And at the end of the day, they're still a top 10 baseball team, if not top five. Uh, So and honestly, I'll say this now before it happens. It wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for Tennessee to lose uh, to a Vanderbilt. It'd be better to lose to a Vanderbilt than uh, a Missouri uh, or an Alabama. And not that I'm saying that Tennessee should have wanted to happen. It Look, losing to your arch rival in Vanderbilt would not be fun, but if it were to happen, I don't think it'd be a bad thing because when, when you're winning, it really masks a lot of your deficiencies. It, it, there, there's not as much of an emphasis placed on, okay, we need to fix these defensive issues that continue popping up. Maybe we need to be a little less of aggressive and more smarter on the base paths. Maybe we need to, reconsider the roles in the bullpen or or things of that nature. Maybe we need to consider going to this guy at second or or third or left or or whatever, instead of this guy, Uh, when when you're winning, you don't really think about those things as much or as intently. So even losing this weekend, wouldn't be the the worst thing long term for Tennessee uh, because you can kind of sort some of those issues. It it, sort some of those issues out. It would just suck to to lose to, to, to Vanderbilt because, I know from the Tennessee fan perspective, there's not a series on the the schedule that Tennessee fans want more than this one this week. And it's not just in baseball either. I mean, obviously baseball's up there
1: because Vanderbilt is always so good, but anytime you play Tennessee and Vanderbilt basketball, anytime you play them in football, always a little something extra, right? So I would agree with you without a doubt, Tennessee's biggest rival. And it's all about how you face adversity, right? Tennessee. How did you respond from adversity? Um, against Texas. Well, you won two more that weekend in Houston. How did you re- uh, respond from um, adversity against Baylor, going down for nothing? Well, you respond by blowing them out there after that rough start. Um, you know, how are you going to survive against? How are you going to respond to this adversity uh, against Vanderbilt? Because you will hit some. I like the way that Tennessee closed the door um, with Redmond Walsh against Ole Miss. But adversity shows how good of a baseball team you truly are. Tennessee hasn't faced much yet this year, but when it has. It's respond to the right way. I think it will face adversity this weekend, and I'm with you there. That is not a bad thing whatsoever because adversity against a good team uh, shows you just exactly how much you're – kind of what you're made of.
0: It'll be a fun weekend. I will be there to bring you full coverage. Eric will also be chipping in, as he always does a great job in doing so. Uh, Eric may have to come bail me out of jail after I Will Smith the mess out of the Vandy Whistlers. So keep an eye out for that. But as Eric said earlier on the pod, 7 p.m. Eastern, Friday night, ESPN 2, 8 p.m. Eastern on Saturday on the SEC Network, and then you'll have to stream it on Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern. And once again, we'll have full coverage at VolQuest.com as we tend to do. And Eric and I will be back for another pod on Friday or Saturday or friday or saturday lord have mercy sunday or monday i i should say i'm telling you i'm still trying to recover from from old miss uh but without further ado that'll do it for eric kane and myself now we're going to transition to an interview with max hers of 1025 the game does a great job calling vanderbilt games for the sec network plus and uh, he dropped by to 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 drop off a, a great wealth of knowledge on the vanderbilt commodore so so without further ado here's max Joined now by Max hers of 1025 the game. Mr. Vanderbilt Baseball, in my mind, my, my go-to when it's when it's time for Tennessee Vanderbilt had him on the podcast in the past and and he was terrific. So Max, I uh, appreciate your time and hope you've been doing well, my friend.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Happy to be on with you again and uh happy that this biggest series of the year, as it's become, is in Nashville this year. Should be should be fun this weekend.
0: I'm struggling to wrap my mind around the fact that not only is Tennessee the higher ranked team and not that the rankings really mean anything, but it's fun conversation for for folks like us. But I'm struggling to wrap my head around the fact that Tennessee is the higher ranked team. And not only that, they're the number one team in the country at Hawkins this weekend. And it's not Vanderbilt.
2: Yeah, it's uh, quite a role reversal. And like, what a fall off for vandy to still be anywhere between three and eight in the polls like all of a sudden the commodores are the scrappy underdogs in baseball um but it it's crazy how uh i I don't think the players think about it at all but this is really the only series and probably will be the only series all season where i really think about what the teams are ranked because normally even when i'm announcing a game like I don't even think about what Vandy is ranked. Like, it's it's just a given that they're going to be in the top 10 or 15 going into every game, and it almost doesn't need to be said. So I think I think it's kind of cool to have to think about that for a change.
0: It is, and it'll be a really fun weekend. I'm sure there will be a nice mix of Tennessee fans in attendance. Uh, the, the ticket prices are absurd. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure you've got the big bucks to, to get in there on, on that money, on, on that price, but – uh, what what has been your thought of Tennessee baseball watching from afar uh, this season? I, I know you're crazy busy keeping up with Vandy and uh, doing things with the Preds as well, but just from afar, and, and I'm sure you've seen Ben Joyce and his 104 mile an hour fastball on social media. Just your thoughts on Tennessee from afar this year?
2: Yeah, the Velo leads the way, and I'm really excited by that because I think Vandy does well against pitchers like that. Whereas in some midweek games or seeing some more funky guys in the middle innings of conference play. They struggle with, like, guys who sit 88, 89 sometimes, which is so funny. But they're trained to hit velocity, and the teams they're going to be trying to win championships against have velocity. Now, they're not all throwing 101 miles an hour plus, like those UT guys are in the bullpen and even some of the starters here and there too. But I think it's a cool matchup because we know these Vandy hitters have the bat speed and the hit tool to hit against guys like that. And position player group, uh, pretty similar to last year. I honestly was kind of disappointed that the dad had his back. I was hoping for something original. I don't, I don't know if those things need to last multiple seasons. But uh, <laughs> uh, Luke Lipsius in year eight is doing a great job over there at first base. And um, it's also cool to see two guys who I announced high school games of in different sports Pitching on the mound, Blade Tidwell. I announced some of his baseball regional games in what was his junior year for Loretto in uh, the small class public school spring fling week. And then I had never got a chance to see Drew Beam play baseball, but I announced two of his high school football games. Quarterback at blackman So uh, glad his Tommy John seems to have gone according to plan, and looking forward to seeing him on Sunday. I've, like I said, I've I've never seen him throw baseball before. I've seen him throw football sixty times.
0: What for those who have not paid attention to Vanderbilt as close this year, if they asked you, hey, how is how is Vanderbilt doing through a month and a half, two months of the season? How how would you summarize the season to this point for Vandy?
2: They're doing fine. Um, And it's weird to say that because they just had the second longest winning streak in the history of the program. And while it was still going, uh Vandy and Tennessee had two of the, I think, three or four longest active winning streaks in the entire country. Obviously, Tennessee's is still going. Vandy's ended at, I believe, 17 games, either 16 or 17 after they started one and two, lost the opening series to Oklahoma State, who's really, really good. And then they didn't lose the rest of the non-conference season. They swept Missouri to start SEC play, and then they beat Belmont in a midweek and South Carolina in the first game of that second series before they lost that series, but There's still a lot to be decided. Um, I I think the big headline coming into the season, and this didn't particularly surprise me after some of the interviews and things I heard like the week or two leading up to the season, but this would have surprised me if you told me it on New Year's, that the two biggest names on this returning pitching staff, Pat Riley and Christian Little, would both not be in the opening starting rotation. Now, Little, they've moved to a one-inning bullpen role, and I think they like him there. Pat Riley, on the other hand, has been really valuable as a long-relief-style piggybacker. He's gone four or five innings in most of his outings, and he's been great there. And even though the Sunday spots opened up because Nick Maldonado is hurt and doesn't seem like he's going to be back in time to pitch this weekend, it seems like Riley would have been the first man in there. But the way they see him and his value as a super reliever – similar to what Maldonado did last year, but Maldonado was a little bit more later innings. Riley's almost always right after the starter. I think he has been in every single relief outing this season, but they love Riley so much in that role because he's been amazing at it. And the reason he wasn't a starter was because he was having a little trouble in the first inning of games and coming out and having good control in his bullpens and starting scrimmages and things like that. And in the bullpen, that hasn't really been an issue. So, They've kept him there, and that's won them a lot of games following up Chris McIlvain or Carter Holton, usually McIlvain. But the Sunday spot has been four different guys the last four weeks trying to fill in for Maldonado. And it's not that it's gone poorly, but they don't have someone they really like there right now and are just kind of waiting for Maldonado to get back.
0: That's one of the the weirder storylines for me, and I say weirder because it it falls in line with what I – Said in the open is is that I'm still trying to wrap my mind around Tennessee being what it is coming into the weekend and, and what Vanderbilt is. And look, Vanderbilt's a national title contender yet again. Uh, so it, it's not like there's a huge difference in the teams, but Tennessee ranked higher is just absurd to me still. Uh, but the the pitching uh for Vandy, it is good. They have a lot of talent, have a lot of prospect names. But they don't have that that bona fide superstar like a Jack Lider or, or Kumar Rocker or even going back down the long lineage of, of names that Tim Corbin has has turned out. And and here comes Tennessee, who has Chase Burns on Friday, Chase Dolander on Saturday, Drew Beam on Sunday, Blake Tidwell's getting back into the mix, uh, Ben Joyce. Like it, it's weird seeing Tennessee with all these these names that people around the country are aware of. And with Vanderbilt, from, from a distance, it doesn't seem like there's that guy this year. Well, you think that's fair to say?
2: Yeah, and I mean, it's a it's a reload moment for this pitching staff, and Chris McElveen is the Friday night starter. He, he's been great, but he'd only started one game his first two college seasons. He'd pitched 27 times out of the bullpen. I mean, he was a reliever. He won multiple innings a decent amount last year, but they elevate him into that starter's role. He's been great as the Friday guy because – He doesn't, I don't know, he doesn't bring attention to himself. Like he's, he's rabid competitor, hard nose coming right at you, but not in a super loud way, definitely not in a superstar type way, even though he's had some superstar type outings this year through his first six starts and has been striking out a ton of people. The best pitcher on the staff by the end of the year, may be Carter Holton, the freshman who's been in the weekend rotation from the beginning, only the fourth. Pitcher in 20 years under Tim Corbin to start opening weekend as a true freshman. So it meant a lot that he got to that point alone, but he's been amazing. He almost threw a seven inning perfect game against Hawaii in a doubleheader game on the road. It was his first ever road start. And then the next start, he didn't give up a hit until the sixth inning. And his conference debut, like nice and easy seven shutty, 10 strikeouts, one walk. He didn't allow an extra base hit in that game. And then all of a sudden this past week, he gets shelled doesn't get out of the second inning against South Carolina. So that skews the stats up, bumps the ERA over four, but he's been really good this year. And Tim Corbin also said earlier this week, they think that Holton may have been tipping pitches in that game and that South Carolina had a tell on him because they were on everything. So it will be interesting, one, to hear if they found something. And they they usually will say if they found something. They won't say what it is, but they'll say that they found something. and. Also, most importantly, how Holton bounces back from that when he pitches against by far the best lineup that Vandy's played this year, with Oklahoma State being second. But I'll take Tennessee's lineup over them.
0: <laughs> it seems like the inexperience is what got Vandy in trouble at South Carolina, the, the inexperience on the mound. Was that the main culprit uh, over the weekend, or, or did uh, defense or the hitting uh, play a, a, a role as well?
2: Yeah, their defense has been has been off at times, which has been interesting. They've gone to Dom Keegan at catcher, who was a, a catcher his entire life, recruited as a catcher. He's a senior now, and he'd only started one game at catcher coming into this year because he had a series of injuries, some non-baseball defender, but He's had to relearn the catcher position. I think that's where the defense starts for Vandy and he's been better the last couple of weeks, but he had some bad throwdowns to second in non-conference games. He's had some trouble receiving the ball. Vandy's gone to a different receiving style behind the plate this year with a, a new assistant coach coaching the catchers and Tyler Shoemaker. And they knew it would be an adjustment, but they've placed an even heavier emphasis on pitch presentation. And that's just kind of changed the way that these catchers do it. And, The only two. Folger being the other one who played a little bit of outfield, but was mostly the DH last year as they tried to get him into the lineup as a freshman. So that's where the defense starts. Um, There's been flash on the infield as usual. Davis Diaz, who's a freshman, everyday player is playing third base. He's been great. He came up as a shortstop. Third base is where he's at for now. Carter Young's great at shortstop as usual, but has had a couple of little mistakes. And Tate Colwick's been solid at second. Uh, Those two guys up the middle are back healthy. First base, they're not sure yet. Uh, They wanted Parker Nolan to fit there. He had some bad swing and miss issues maybe two, three weeks ago. He was back in this past week, hit better, but they've also got Gavin Casas there. And then the outfield defense has been good, but they tried some different guys last week there too. So uh, the the lineup on both sides is very much not set, but there's definitely upside on both sides of the ball. And I think I think we've seen all 11, 12, 13 guys who are legit contenders for playing time the rest of the way. they've all had moments. They've all shown their best.
0: You kind of just answered what I was going to ask you, because that, that's that been a conversation here in Knoxville is that, I mean, Tennessee has three, four, five guys on the bench that would be in the lineup elsewhere <laughs> and, and the lineup's unsettled, not because somebody is struggling, but just because, I mean, they truly have three or four guys that could play X amount of spots and it's been unsettled. For that reason, has that kind of been the case there with with Vanderbilt and and what has been some of the strengths and the weaknesses of of the lineup?
2: Yeah, I think – and I I don't know at all how Tony Vitello views this, but uh, Tim Corbin's way a lot of times, whether it's spoken or unspoken, I I think it's twofold. One, sometimes he will start someone different, not because of anything wrong the person who's coming out did. And it's just the time of year, like Calvin Hewitt, who's a sophomore outfielder. He hadn't started a game until the last couple of weeks. And before the season started, they probably would have said, we'd like to get Calvin Hewitt to start by the beginning of SEC play. They hadn't done that. So you got to take a chance and do that at some point. And eventually you just completely run out of time. So they gave Hewitt some real run at South Carolina. And he's just an example. I mean, he's, I think the, let's see. I think he's the sixth outfielder to start a game this season. Actually, he wow. was the yeah, he was the seventh Vandy player to start a game in outfield this year. So like you gotta get to him at some point. But it was really the same situation with most of the guys in front of him. And really only one of those people in Troy Laneve is a DH option. So they've got guys they want to get playing time to, and uh it cost Javier Vaz some playing time last week. Tim Corbin clarified that. Uh, Vaz isn't hurt. Um, They just wanted to give guys other looks, Uh, but Vaz has really been one of their most consistent hitters this year. So just kind of shows you the type of internal competition that they create. And also a lot of it is based on like non-game performance, like batting cage performance during both batting practice and off days and things like that. Like the way somebody swings in those sessions helps determine playing time a lot. And is what can get somebody who hasn't started for Vanderbilt back into the lineup. So I think that's why especially we've seen a lot of movement in the outfield. Tuesday's midweek game against Lipscomb was the first game all year that Spencer Jones didn't start in right field. He'd hit third and played right in every single game before that. So I imagine that was just to give somebody else a chance today because uh, he's been great in his first year really being healthy as a college player and only hitting instead of trying to pitch too. So They've, they've really got options. Um, I imagine they come right out this weekend with their A lineup, but also I couldn't 100% tell you all nine guys what the A lineup is right now because I think Parker Nolan's in it. But I also would like to think that Gavin Casas and Jack Bolger are both in it too, and there's not room for all those guys.
0: Last thing before I get you out of here, what what is this team's potential uh, as – a hole on the season and is this a, a team that uh, is going to be able to piece it together and go win a, a national title because part of the problem that if you want to call it a problem that, that you were just discussing with so many options is, is Tim Corbin has just recruited exceptionally well nationally and they have just stud prospect after stud prospect so they have the talent to go win a national title you, you think that they'll they'll be able to pieces together not that they haven't to this point but uh they're they're laying in the weeds it feels like right now and I I just it feels weird again I I keep saying that it just feels weird to to see a Vanderbilt team laying in the weeds that hey man they have the talent to go win it but again nobody's really talking about them right now
2: yeah there's there hasn't been in the last I mean maybe even 10 years to be even generous 10 years going back and at least five to 10 years going forward, as you try and project what this program is going to be like under coach Corbin, longer term, every single team in that window has a more than realistic chance to win a national championship. And this team is of course, no exception. And it's just about uh, who, who steps up when they, when they shorten the pitching staff, how good those top six, seven, eight guys are and what that group looks like and Uh, They, I, I will give them this and a name I haven't mentioned yet in this interview, they have, and you won't see them this weekend, but they have a big piece that's been essential to all of their deep teams, which is a consistent midweek starter to help them win basically every midweek game and come SEC tournament time, start for you on that Tuesday single elimination or Wednesday if you're in the top four and then start a potential fourth elimination game of the regional. And then in a super, pitch sometime. Who knows? And then in the College World Series, probably pitch in an elimination game. And that's Devin Futrell, who's a freshman lefty. He's been great so far as the midweek guy. And last year they had Christian Little in that role. And I think Futrell is so much further along at this point than Little was last year. And that's not Little's fault. He was in such a unique situation. But I think that piece is definitely the biggest piece of upside right now. The lineup is amazing, but it's not—it's not too dissimilar from the lineups of years past, especially just comparing this year to last year with Bradfield at the top. So they've—they've uh, they've always got the potential, um, and it's—it's it's just about really all that matters is what's cooking in May because, like you—you you know, they're going to be in a regional. It would be—I don't even know what would have to happen for them to not make a regional. So the most important thing is—is is for them to be in position to host a regional to be a potential national seed, both of which I think will definitely host a national seed is very, very realistic. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's all about how they play in May, but, uh, I think, I think this weekend, and I mean, we're almost in May, we're about to be a month away. Um, I think this weekend will be as close as we get to those postseason style games until then.
0: I lied. i got, I've got one more for you and it's, and it's kind of a, a two-parter a, do you have a conviction about this weekend one way or the other? I do not. I I mean, I, I would lean Tennessee just because I think Tennessee is the best team in the country. And if I think they're the best team in the country, I'm, I'm not going to pick them to lose. Um, but I think it's going to be ultra competitive and could go either way uh, because both teams are just loaded with talent. So do you, are, are you convicted either way? And then are you of the same mindset as me of at the top of the league? It's, Tennessee, Vandy, Florida, Arkansas, and that Tier One, and then maybe some other teams behind them. Mississippi State, although they've been really banged up, obviously, and suffered some big time injuries, are, are those the four at the top of the league for you at the moment?
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm with you on both. I'm not convicted on this weekend. Um, I I envision low scoring games, but I feel like we'll get at least one that take seven, eight runs to win. And for the league, I, the only thing I would, I don't know. I kind of want to put Ole Miss in there, but
0: I don't like uh, their pitching. I don't like their pitching.
2: That that would be the only one I'd add. Um, But I'm, I've always liked Arkansas. Um, It's good to see on the Florida front. It's good to see Judd Fabian doing his thing again, too. Like my big fear for him was, he was going to follow the same path as Austin Langworthy, which is fall off in your junior year and never come back to what you were. Um, and it seems like he's avoided that, which is good. Uh, yeah, I, a lot can change, but I, I think, I think I agree with you. I'll, I'll let you talk me out of all this. Yeah, keep him out. You got me, Ben.
0: <laughs> Look, they've they've got the lineup to to go do some really big things. It's just if they don't have some pitchers step up and and really start performing then i i don't see them making it very far i I would be very surprised if if they made it to omaha and with their current pitching it it wouldn't surprise me to see them lose in a regional so i i I love their lineup i just i i don't think that they have any pitching I, i was very unimpressed by their pitching uh this weekend in oxford and even going into the series, just looking at them on paper. I, I was convicted on thinking Tennessee was going to win the series in Oxford just because of what I saw pitching-wise on, on paper, but they definitely have the, the sticks to, to yeah. swing their way to Omaha, if need be.
2: Tennessee definitely has an easier schedule, too. If you're looking at just Tennessee Vandy and who they play in the West, I'd say Tennessee's got the best possible layout, and Vanderbilt – Probably not the absolute worst it could be, but it's pretty close in terms of the challenges they have to face. And uh, last last two weekends of the regular season for Vandy are, I guess, two of the last three are Arkansas and LSU. So those will be big. Where are you at? Class is over. It's it's playoff time. Let's see what this team really is. Weekends.
0: Yeah, and Tennessee's big four on the schedule was Ole Miss, Vandy, Florida. Mississippi State, and now in hindsight, Ole Miss is already out of the window. You you swept them, Mississippi State because of their injuries looked totally different, uh, and and then Vanderbilt and Florida. Those are kind of your six tough tough games left, and and you get Missouri and Alabama at home, Auburn at home. Uh, so Alabama and Auburn not not a pushover, but weekends that Tennessee should find a lot of success in. So. Uh, Kentucky uh, same way Georgia will be somewhat tough with with some of the pitching that they have I'm interested to see how Georgia and Florida uh, do this weekend going up against one another but Max uh, really appreciate your time as always very insightful how can uh, people follow you and your work
2: yeah of course Ben thank you um my Twitter is Maxers talks if any ball fans want to put up with that it's okay (laughs) if you don't and um We podcast as much as we can. Like you mentioned, I've been on the Preds beat a little bit, which has been a lot of fun. So I know we got lots of Preds fans in Knoxville, which is uh, amazing. So uh, follow me for the Preds, if nothing else.
0: Cool. Max, appreciate your time and uh, look forward to doing it again soon.
2: Yeah, my pleasure, Ben.